You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. What is up, rookies, and welcome to the Upland Rookie Podcast. Episode 19 is about to drop, so get ready. First, I want to thank Yukonuba Premium Performance Dog Food. Cannot say enough good things about Yukonuba. Trinity Bretons, home of the Epignol Breton. Angels in the home and demons in the field. I can attest to that. And Pointer Traditions. Pointer Traditions bird straps are possibly the most durable bird straps currently on the market. Handmade in the US of A, these bird straps are made from a PVC coated webbing instead of leather. Yes, synthetic baby. <laughs> That's where it's at. No, uh, check out Pointer Traditions uh, Trinity Bretons and Yukonuba Sporting Dog. Thank you so much for your support. All right, guys, and don't forget about the giveaway that I'm doing with cable gangs and brennan landry over at cable gangs uh check out the instagram post i made a few days ago uh we are doing a straight giveaway uh follow all the instructions and the rules on that post uh, on the upland rookie podcast uh instagram so you're not going to want to miss that it closes i think we're, we're announcing the winner I think it's September 1st or September 2nd. I forget the date off the top of my head, but um, we will be announcing the winner here in just about 10 days. And do you know what else is coming up in 10 days? Yes, the grouse opener. (laughs) It's coming, guys. It is coming. Grouse opener uh, 2021-22 season uh, is about to drop. So uh, I have my first hunt uh, scheduled. I am going to be leaving here in 10 days uh, for Nebraska. Uh, That's where I spent the opening of my season last year. And I just have been dreaming of the day uh, to get back to Nebraska for the grouse opener. So uh, really, really excited. Uh, I have some other plans uh, to hit Colorado. Um, before my big trip in later September. Um, and so, um, yeah, I'll talk more about my my big September trip on another episode. Um, next month or so is going to be kind of crazy, to be honest. Um, so September, I will still be getting a podcast out every week. That is my goal, at least. <laughs> that, is, that is my commitment to you right now. Um, but it's going to be a little crazy. I might be doing some some of these intro recordings and maybe even some bonus episodes from the field uh, when, I'm, when I'm meeting up with some buddies, hunting with them uh, throughout September. So uh, be patient with me. Be gracious. Um, I'm, it might not be every Tuesday. We'll see. Um, that schedule seems to really work well uh, for dropping episodes. But Again, just depending on the hunt schedule, Wi-Fi availability, all that kind of stuff, um, I will will try my best to still get these out in a timely manner. Um, again, basically on the same day, same time that I've been doing it. So, um, again, just have some some crazy but cool travel plans coming up. Um, and and all you asking or wondering, like, how the heck are you going to travel and hunt? And you got five kids and a wife and a job and all that stuff. Uh, it's possible. <laughs> it is possible with some creative 
with some creative planning, uh, you know, an awesome, awesome spouse that uh, is supportive. That's that is the key to this. Um, yeah, use vacation days wisely. Save them. Um, yeah, it, it's it's possible um, again, but it all goes back to this the supportive spouse. I really, really thank uh, thank my wife um, just for allowing me to yeah take off for. I have, I have two September trips planned. One's about a four or five day short one in the beginning, and then I'm going on about a, a 10 or 11 day trip uh, later September. So um, could not be possible without an amazing wife who is holding down the fort, figuring out kids' school schedules, pickups, drop-offs, all that kind of stuff. Um, so all that to say, guys out there, take care of your wives. <laughs> take care of your family first, obviously. Um, so that you can, uh, you know, be gone, do some trips, do some hunting, do some scouting, whatever it might be. Um, but take care of things on the home front, make sure that is set before you take off. So I'm really pumped. Um, September is going to be fun. Um, again, those, those two trips coming up and I, I couldn't be more excited. So anyways, sorry if I sound a little sleepy. It's about five o'clock here in the morning in old Colorado. So just, uh, just waking up still, but, um, we're actually going to jump over to a listener question. I haven't done one of these in quite a while. Um, dug up some old listener questions that you guys wrote in, um, a while back and I had a good one here pulled up. Um, older dogs, is it better to hunt them in sprints, half days, or full days with rest? Uh, Justin asked that question. Um, that is a good question. That's going to depend on the dog. Uh, it's going to depend on a couple of factors, I think. Um, the dog, its age, the heat, how hot it's outside. Um, so I'll just give you my my personal examples and kind of just my own thoughts on that. But, um, so last year gauge was three and a half when I took him to sub in September, um, on his hunt, I hunted him extremely hard. He was my only dog I was hunting last year. Um, it was warm. Um, I hunted him two times a day. Um, so we were doing uh, a long morning hunt. We would come back and rest and chill at the campsite for a while. Um, and then go back out in the evening for a, a much shorter burst, but uh, maybe that was an hour and a half max, maybe two if we were lucky. Um, so I don't, I don't count him as an older dog. Now this year he's four and a half, or no, sorry, last year. So his birthday is in August. So he was almost three. He just turned three last year. This year he'll be four. Okay, sorry, got my got my numbers right. Um, so I, I don't count that as an old dog, but he's, I mean, he's slower than he is now than he was when he was two. I mean, that's, there's no doubt there. Um, so just be smart in, in how you're hunting your dogs, um, how much you're running them. Um, you can control, I think you can control heat exhaustion. Um, there's a lot of factors you can't control out in the field. Um, so just be smart, watch your dogs. Um, you know, make sure, make sure they're getting the proper nutrition. Um, so I'm, I'm there. Uh, my dogs are on Yukonuba, uh, 30, 20 premium performance and a bowl of that, uh, you know, a couple hours after a hunt, that's, that's going to give them that energy, repair those muscles, get the good joint support going on. Um, that's going to help them be ready to hit the field the next day. So, um, older, 
much older than that dog. I, I can't personally speak for that or to that a lot. Um, I know my buddy, Matt Harrell, he's running to, uh, I would say older dogs. I think they're 10 and 11 or 11 and 12, maybe. Um, those dogs, I mean, I hunted with them last year. You, you'll definitely notice that second day they're, they're a little slower. Um, I should say when they start that first field that next morning, uh, after a hunt, I mean, they're, they're guns a blazing, um, but they're going to slow down quicker. So, um, I mentioned this last week's on last week's episode after a, a long hunt, um, make sure they're getting plenty of, of fluids, make sure they're getting plenty of water. Um, I even put water in their food at the hotel or the campsite, uh, for their dinner that night. I'm making sure they're getting water in their food. Um, it's not Gage's favorite. He doesn't, I mean, he's a little slower, which is probably good. Um, but it's just ensuring that he's getting that, uh, staying hydrated as well as getting the, the nutrition that he needs to get his body recovered and ready to hit the field ne- the next day. So, um, I am feeding my dogs, um, the, so when, when they hunt, they're eating once a day. Um, I don't feed them in the morning before hunt. I, I have had a dog puke. Um, I fed them maybe like an hour and a half, two hours before hunt back in the day when I didn't know any better. And he, you know, just got sick and it was, it was a mess. So, um, my dogs are, are eating once a day right now. So that schedule will, will continue when we start hunting season. So when they go out and hunt, uh, or when they get up in the morning, we go hit a field, hit the prairie. Um, they're not eating that morning anyways. They're going to eat dinner that night. Um, so that's that's kind of the schedule we're on. Um, you know, do what works for you. There's different studies and research on on feeding twice a day, once a day. Just just go with what works for you. Um, I asked a couple different vets and got a couple different answers. So again, just do what you think works for you because <laughs> there's there's no consistent information out there. Um, but anyways, that's, that's kind of my thoughts for, you know, resting a dog. I mean, yeah, if, if, if you're older, so like, so I go back to my, my buddy, Matt, uh, we hunted with his two GSPs. They're much older. Um, we did, there were a couple more fields that we either just put gauge down and just left those dogs in the truck, even, even resting them a field. So we were, we were pheasant hunting. So we were jumping from field to field, even giving them a couple field break throughout the day was a huge help. It just helped them. They just couldn't bounce from field to field to field and keep going all day long. Um, we just had to be a little smarter with them. We had to, you know, pick and choose, Hey, this might work better for them. Let's rest them now a couple, you know, maybe an hour, uh, and then put them back down. So you might just have to get creative. It's not going to be a, a cookie cutter approach where, you know, Oh, day on day off, whatever it might be. Um, we all love hunting with our dogs. I, I, love nothing more than hunting over my own dogs. Um, so there's always that temptation of wanting to, um, put your dogs in the ground, no matter what, no matter if they're tired, but we do have to be smart as well. Um, there's going to be times this year, um, that I'm going to just want to run win or just want to run gauge or gunner, or maybe some combos there. Um, I got multiple dogs to have dog power so that I could, I could hunt longer, keep the dogs fresh. So, so this year might look a little different for me because I have multiple dogs. I, uh, might run, um, one dog, you know, hard for an hour and a half, two hours in the morning, go back to the truck, get another dog, put them down. I I don't know exactly my strategy yet. Uh, I'm still figuring that out. 
but um, come up with what works for you. Um, it's just, it's not going to be the same for every person. You might have one dog, you might have five dogs. I don't know what your situation is. So um, just do what works for you. Experiment. Um, but first field, first prairie, whatever, that first walk of the season, um, it is so hard to leave a dog in the truck. It is so hard to, uh, to say, all right, I'm taking you, but not you. So I don't know. I don't know what I'm going to do personally, but, um, yeah, all that to say, do what works for you guys. So anyways, uh, if you have a listener question, if you have a, a topic that you'd like me to discuss, uh, please write it in here to the podcast. I would love to just share my thoughts, experience. Uh, again, I am no professional, but um, I will just, it's, again, it's it's fun uh, just talking through these things. Um, these are a variety of topics, different uh, ideas and, and things that we're all working through and all have uh, some similarities around. So, um, hey, one thing I have not mentioned on the podcast in quite a while is uh, leaving an Apple podcast review. Um, guys, the algorithm gods, as I call them, of Apple, um, for the podcast, they highly are dependent on uh, written reviews and five-star ratings. Um, if you would do me a favor, if you have not done a review in the past, if you would go over to Apple Podcast, um, leave a, leave a, a, a star rating review. Five would be amazing. Um, but leave a little a comment uh, in the review section what you love about the podcast, what you've learned from it, uh, how you find value in the podcast. That would mean so much. Um, that's just going to mean that this podcast is going to pop up higher in the search feed when someone's looking for a hunting podcast or upland podcast or whatever that might be. Um, it's going to help reach more hunters just like you. So um, that would mean a lot to me if you would go over and uh, leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. So I know there's a lot of other platforms out there that y'all are listening to. Um, that's amazing. That's, that's great. But um, Apple is very dependent on those reviews. So I appreciate that, guys. Um, other than that, don't forget about the giveaway I'm doing with Cable Gangs and Brennan Landry. Um, you're going to get a two or a three dog uh, Cable Gang system. Uh, I just set mine up in my backyard again the other night, put the dogs out there, fed them dinner on the, on the Cable Gang. Uh, we're going to be using that a lot in Nebraska and as I hunt uh, throughout September here. So just getting them more comfortable on it, eating dinner, getting them water, you know, keeping them in the shade and all that good stuff. So really fun system. Um, hey, don't forget to, if you're picking up any products from Dakota 283, uh, use my promo code TUR10 for 10% off your order with Dakota 283. New kennel you're picking up, uh, Dyna Dash, Dash watering system. Uh, water is super important uh, heading into the, the warmer hunting months. Um, as well as Onyx Hunt. If you're not rocking Onyx Hunt, uh, use my promo code TUR20 for 20% off your Onyx Hunt subscription. Guys, uh, this is a must. This uh, North Dakota, I know, just came out with uh, the new layer in Onyx uh, of seeing what is electronically posted uh, or, or not. So that's that's a game changer for North Dakota. I know they went through some changes up there with, uh, with land access. And so now uh, landowners are able to post their uh, property electronically saying if, if it's that you cannot hunt it. Um, before, if it wasn't posted, you could just hunt it. So some changes there. Onyx really um, has helped 
figure that out very quickly. <laughs> so that's been pretty cool. I know a lot of people were stressing on what that would look like, but uh, Onyx came through, um, made it happen. So um, anyways, check all that out, guys. Um, yeah, I think that's all I got for you right now. We're going to jump in. I got Anthony Grimaldi. I think I'm saying your name right, man, uh, on the uh, on the podcast today. Uh, he is down in uh Georgia. Um, originally, I don't know. Originally, he lived uh, near me in Colorado. Actually, um, Anthony have a, and I have a great conversation. He's got a couple puppies uh, that were were just born when we recorded this. Um, so he just loves bird dogs. Um, he loves uh, bringing the best out of the breed, breeding for success. Um, so it's a really fascinating conversation with Anthony. Um, don't mind. There is some puppy noise in the background. Uh, it happens time to time. Even my dogs will. Uh, get a little uh, whiny, <laughs> I guess you could say, throughout some episodes I record. So uh, apologize for that. I'm not sure if you can hear it real bad or not. But um, anyways, we're going to jump into episode 19 with Anthony Grimaldi. Thanks so much. It's a new dog. Um, you got her, uh, what, a week or two ago? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, maybe eight days ago now. So yeah, we picked her up last weekend. And uh, yeah, she's been a blast, man. She's uh, she's a pretty dog. She is. She really is. Mostly all white, a little bit of orange on the tail and head. And uh, uh-huh. that's, that's just personal preference for me. I, I like the all more white Brits. And oh yeah, yeah. yeah. She's she's great. She's um the really cool thing about her, at least I'm noticing right now, is um like I, I'm not exaggerating. When she's in the house, she is like she'll give hugs and cuddle and and totally different dog. Um, which my kids love, my wife loves. And then, uh, out in the field, man, she, she reminds me of Gage, my older one. Uh, cause she's just, she's hauling butt out there. So right now, best of both worlds, <laughs> see if it keeps up. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's nice when you can get that. Say that one more time. I said, yeah, it's nice when you can get that. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So it's always that, that sweet spot, uh, combo, but yeah. Well, well, dude, hopefully we can, uh, replicate, uh, that, uh, that first episode, uh, again, cause that was pretty awesome. Let's do it. Let's, Let's do it, man. It. Absolutely. <laughs> awesome, dude. Well, Anthony, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Uh, just introduce people, put us on a map. Where are you right now? I am in West Georgia right now. Uh, let's say roughly an hour West of Atlanta, pretty much on the Georgia, Alabama state line. Very cool. Very cool. And you, so I'm talking to you from Colorado. You actually used to live in Colorado. Is that right? I did. Yeah. I spent about four years in Colorado. Um, let's see the first two of those years down in Fort Collins and, uh, last two, uh, about an hour and a half Northwest of, uh, Fort Collins, uh, pretty much on the, the Wyoming state line there. Okay. So you're way up there. Yeah. You're yeah. Way up there. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, for, well, I guess we'll, we'll kind of jump, jump off there. I know you and I, we talked before a little bit and you actually harvested, is it, correct me if I'm wrong. You harvested a Colorado chucker and a Colorado, uh, ptarmigan. Is that correct? Not ptarmigan. No, Not I know ptarmigan. that in the state of Colorado, I had huh. all intentions of, uh, hunting ptarmigan in Colorado last year and, uh, the Cameron peak wildfire, kind of blew through that area where I had, uh, seen ptarmigan in the past and that kind of, kind of did away with those plants. Gotcha. Okay. That, that, that can be a damper for sure. But, uh, yeah. talk about, talk about Colorado chucker. Cause I don't think that is, it's not really a thing here. I mean, they're here. I've heard. Yeah. Talk about how you kind of stumbled across them. Okay. Yeah. They're, they are 
they are in the state of Colorado. They are kind of few and far between. Um, I believe that, you know, most of the chucker in the state of Colorado are going to be in the western part of the state, like far western part of the state. Um, but, you know, with me being in Fort Collins, um, there's a river that I was fishing uh, west of there, kind of out in the mountains, uh, the Poudre River. And uh, went out there one afternoon. I was like, that's about the steepest slope that I can find. I'm going to see how, you know, how quickly I can make it to the top of that thing. Did that. I took my Brittany with me. Um, <laughs> but I did that and I uh, got to the top, flushed the chucker. I couldn't believe it. Um, you know, you know, to my knowledge, there were not chucker in that area. Um, and this was, this was in the middle of the summer. Um, so I knew I was going to have to wait a few months to get out there on September 1st. Um, and I actually spoke with, uh, Colorado parks and wildlife and they said, no, there, there are no chucker in that area. Um, they said, you know, we, uh, we bought a hundred and some odd birds from the state of Utah and tried to introduce a, a population of chucker in that Poudre Canyon. Um, they said, but they didn't take, and they said, we banded every bird that we, you know, that we released. So if you, you know, if you kill a bird up there, you know, it's going to be banded and, and it will be, you know, a bird that was, you know, that was able to make it up there. Um, and that, that introduction um, effort happened, I don't know, six or seven years prior to whenever I went up there and I uh, went up there on September 1st, opened a day of chucker season in Colorado, killed the chucker, and uh, <laughs> it wasn't a banded bird. Um, so obviously, you know, chucker are there and they are reproducing. That's awesome, man. That's probably not a lot of people have done that, uh, in state of Colorado. I'm sure there's, there's a good handful, but that's just not yeah. something you, you hear about very often. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And you, uh, you did quite a bit of uh blue grouse hunting here while you were, uh, you were here, weren't you? I did. Yeah, I did. Uh, I don't want to say I made that a priority, but I did, uh, you know, get after the blues. Okay. Um, you know, quite a bit. And, you know, the last two years that we were there, you know, we were living at, you know, roughly 9,000 foot in the mountains. Um, so that was kind of our, uh, you know, it was the closest bird that we had to work with. Yeah. There. Yeah, absolutely. Are you, uh, you call them blue grouse or dusky grouse? Blue grouse. Blue, okay. <laughs> okay. I know th there's some different, yeah. uh, <laughs> you can't make me call them dusky. Which came first? I know <laughs> What's what, that? what were they originally? Was it, was it first dusky and then they changed it to blue? Or, no, they were uh, blue. So dusky and city grouse were both uh, lumped under blue grouse. Um, and they ended up, you know, splitting those into two distinct populations. Gotcha. And is this, the you said sooty grouse, is that a totally, that's totally different from the blue grouse or is that the same thing? Genetically very similar, um, but I guess, uh, you know, there are genetic differences or, you know, I guess they wouldn't have, uh, you know, split those populations. Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Let's, uh, let's start a little bit from the beginning. Tell me a little bit of your, your story. How'd you get into, uh, upland hunting, bird dogs, all that good stuff. Why don't you start, like, did you grow up doing this? Uh, you know, tell us a little bit of your story. No, I definitely didn't grow up with bird dogs, uh, but I did grow up hunting, uh, you know, started hunting when I was, I don't know, eight or nine years old, 22, you know, single shot, 16 gauge, 
um, and get off the bus and go go shoot rabbits or dove or you know whatever it may be, um, whatever was in season at the time. And uh, but I didn't grow up with bird dogs and uh, went to the military after high school. Um, Got done with that and, uh, you know, needed, needed something new. You know what I mean? Sure. And I said, Hey, let's, you know, let's do bird dogs. Okay. Um, so I got Brittany and, uh, that dog and I have been, I mean, just about all over the country and we've hunted just about everything other than desert quail together and, uh, got him first. And, uh, let's see a year or two ago, I started acquiring a few setters and, uh, now I've got Brittany, a pointer and three setters with two or three more on the way in the next few weeks. Okay. Right on, right on. Are, are all those... <laughs> Are all those breeds, uh, do you, do you just kind of want to just try a little bit of everything, see what you liked or what's kind of your philosophy, philosophy behind, did, uh, that all I did. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of wanted to, you know, find the, the dog, the breed that was the right fit for me. Um, and you know, since I didn't grow up, you know, with bird dogs, since I didn't grow up, you know, in the upland hunting community, um, I didn't know what that was. Um, so, you know, um, Went through a few breeds, and uh, I don't believe that I'll buy another Brittany. Don't hate me for saying that. <laughs> Not at all. Not at all. Um, and I and at this point, you know, I've I've been through a few setters, and I've got a few right now. Um, but I'm really leaning leaning on the pointers right now, and I think that that's probably will probably be the way that I end up going. Nice. Nice. I, I was just yeah. going to ask you to, uh, you know, someone with firsthand experience between three of those breeds and they're pretty popular breeds. When you think about bird dogs, mm-hmm. G- just give us your kind of a breakdown real quick of, of the three breeds. Like, what do you, what are some of the characteristics and traits that you, you kind of like in each of them and what kind of, uh, sets them apart? Okay. Um, I guess we'll start with the Brittany. Um, you know, what I really like about the Brittany and my Brittany in particular is that you know, he, he excels in retrieving, he excels in hunting dead. Um, but you know, he doesn't, he doesn't cover enough ground for me. And, uh, you know, whenever, you know, when I was living out West and, you know, hunting prairie and this and that, um, you know, I kind of said, you know, I need a dog that with a little more run. Um, and I knew that I'd find that, you know, in some of these filled bread setters and in the pointer, um, you know, setter an all around nice dog. Um, you know, they do, they are known for their, you know, on and off switch. And, uh, you know, I do appreciate that. Um, I wouldn't say that at least mine do not excel in retrieving. Um, and they're not, but, typi- they're not typically known for that. Right. No, they're, they're not known for it, but, but, and, you know, people will say, you know, one in three setters will retrieve this or that, whatever, you know, and I can't speak on that, but I'll tell you that, you know, the dogs that I've had, you know, granted some of them are, you know, absolutely nuts about it. And some, you know, you shoot a bird over them and they're going to look at it for a few seconds and they're going to move off and go find another bird to point. Um, with my pointer, I really like my pointer. She is a, 
she's a simple and she's an honest dog. Hmm. She, uh, she just wants to run and find birds. <laughs> um, it, you know, my setters are super intelligent, almost too intelligent at times. They're kind of, you know, trying to poke holes in you, trying to find your weak points and, uh, you know, testing the boundaries a little bit to where, you know, I don't see that in my pointer and I don't see, you know, haven't seen that. And, you know, pointers that I've seen, you know, um, but you know, with my pointer, she's just, she's a simple dog. She wants to run and find birds and what else should a dog do? You know, <laughs> exactly. Is, uh, is retrieving high on your list for how you hunt or, or is it kind of lower on the, on the list, what you look for? Uh, you know, I don't place a great deal of importance on it. It's something that I appreciate when I have it, but if I've got, you know, my Brittany and, you know, these continental breeds are kind of known to, you know, run with a, you know, lower head with their head kind of dragging the ground. And my Brittany's guilty of that for sure. Um, and you know, that's not where, that's not where the scent's riding. Scent's not riding an inch above the ground where my Brittany's nose is. Mm. So I have to believe that he's missing birds that, you know, my setters and my pointer, you know, who are running, you know, with a high head, you know, have to believe that he's missing those birds. Mm. Um, but yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. You've, uh, I, I've seen you have, you, you have quite a few dogs, right? Do you kind of just get, you like to get a few dogs, evaluate them, kind of see what, what works for you best. Cause I think you have a couple think, yeah. setter pups right now, right? What's that? You have a couple setter pups right now. You're uh, checking out. Yeah, I have three right now and I have, uh, two or three more coming in the next few weeks. Um, but yeah, you know, I like to, uh, you know, find these, you know, really, really well-bred pups from breedings that, you know, make sense, you know, not only on paper, but, you know, from, you know, taking this dog to that dog. Um, so yeah. And, you know, when I find those breedings, I like to bring in as many of those dogs as I can from there. I, I brought in three, um, just a few weeks ago. Sold one, you know, within a matter of two weeks or so. I just knew that, you know, she wasn't going to be a dog, but she, she was just, she wasn't what the other two were. Okay. Um, and I've still got two. I've made the decision on the one that I'm going to keep. Um, I just made it available recently. Nice. Um, yeah. You know, I like to bring in as many as I can. You know, I kind of, I kind of think about it as a, you know, if I want to win the lottery, the more lottery tickets that I buy, the greater my odds. Um, so yeah, and that's what I'm looking to do. I'm looking to win the lottery. I'm looking to, you know, find that, <laughs> find that once in a lifetime, like truly special dog. Absolutely. No, I think that's a really cool strategy. Um, I, so when I picked up win, she was, uh, so Jeff who he was evaluating two pups and he kept one and, and, uh, sold the other one. And, uh, I, it's a kind of a fascinating strategy. I don't think a lot of people realize that, um, if you have the opportunity to do that, I think that's, that's cool. Cause you can really see two dogs, same age or similar age side by side. And, and I think that's where kind of what you're getting at is, and what you're looking for is really that natural instinct, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Across the spectrum. That's, that's fascinating. So yeah. love it, man. Um, so it sounds like you're, you're a pointer guy, it's kind of you're leaning that way. I'm, I'm starting to lean that way. I, I really like the pointer that I have right now. I really like a lot that I've seen, you know, within the last year or two. 
Um, and you know, granted they're nice dogs, you know, yeah, no, they're beautiful. They're from, beautiful from dogs. Parade, you know, um, but you know, I'm starting to, uh, starting to feel and starting to see that you know, the pointer is the dog for me. Yeah. That's awesome. Are you doing a lot of uh, big country, like open prairie hunts or what do you, what are you hunting most right now? So this year is going to look very different from years of past for me. Um, last year, uh, my dogs and I hunted nine, added it up the other day, 109 different species of wild birds. Um, this year, so we've, my wife and I have a little one coming late September. Nice. So this is going to look very different from season past. Um, I'm still going to do everything that I can to get my dogs into wild birds as often as I can. But, um, you know, with me being in Georgia now, quail, quail's the name of the game. Mm. Um, so I foresee a many of early mornings headed down to South Georgia. Um, I think we're going to do North Carolina this year as well. Um, and I'm looking at either Montana or North Dakota for, say, the last two weeks of August and maybe the first few days of September so that I can get, get back before the little guy gets here. Oh, definitely. Definitely, Matt. You, you got your priorities right right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, with, with Georgia quail, I mean, that's, that's kind of all I've heard about as far as birds, uh, down there that they have, is it pretty much all plantation like pay to hunt or are, are there true public lands that you can just walk on and, and start hunting? There are public lands in South Georgia. Most of, you know, the majority of the quail in the state are going to be on those privately on plantations. There are wild quail on state lands here. Um, most of those birds are going to be, <coughs> excuse me, on wildlife management areas um, that are, you know, quota hunts. And then there are going to be a few WMAs open that might hold a few birds here and there. Um, but I think for the most part, you know, most of the birds are going to be on those privately owned plantations. Gotcha. And, and just curious, so those, those privately owned plantations, is that like a, like they have a website you go on, you can book a hunt or is it, you kind of have to know someone or go knock on their door to, to get on with the plantations. Yeah. I think most of them, you know, most that are doing it right, you know, most that are doing it right, you know, are not, you know, extending uh, themselves to the public. <laughs> Gotcha. Okay. So a yeah. little, little bit yeah. more tight, tight knit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes, that's kind of what I would think, but I was just, just curious kind of how it, uh, how it runs down there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there, there, are, you know, obviously there are, you know, a ton, you know, and a ton of plantations in the South, um, to, you know, to where you can pay to play. Um, sure. but there are, you know, there are a lot down here that, you know, manage for themselves. Yeah. Right on, man. Um, let's, uh, let's jump back to blue grouse a little bit. It's definitely a bird. I'm pretty fascinated with myself. I don't think it gets a lot of attention in the upland world. Um, how, I mean, just talk about, talk about kind of a general way to hunt them. What do you look for? What elevation do you need to be at? Um, you're probably the, the person I've talked to most that has maybe hunted them the most that I've talked to. Um, just give the listeners a little bit of insight on, you know, Hey, if they want to go chase them this year, what would, what would a hunt look like for them? So blue grouse are a really interesting and underrated bird. 
they really are. Um, if you're gonna hunt blue grouse, if you're gonna, you know, if you are gonna hunt them, do it as soon as possible. Um, you know, as early in the year as you can. I believe that opens in Colorado September first. Um, you know, that early in the year, you're probably gonna find broods still together. They're probably gonna be close to water. Because where there is water, there is grass. Where there is grass, there are insects. Um, so, you know, that's something that I would key on early in the year. Uh, last year was a really dry year. Um, so there was no water. And there weren't, you know, because of that, there wasn't the grass. Because of that, there weren't the insects. Um, so last year, I was really looking for, I was really finding them in, uh, you know, raspberry, blueberry, rose hip um stuff like that um so i think you know depending on you know what the conditions are for that year i would focus on you know one or the other gotcha and earlier in the year is it true that they start lower elevation and then climb as the season goes on yeah yeah i think that's you know i think that's what makes blue grouse as unique unique as they are is that you know they are true reverse migrators and that you know they will uh they'll come down into the foothills in the spring um to mate into nest and then they gradually make their way you know higher up in elevation um throughout the year and uh you know when snow starts to hit you know they're on ten thousand foot in the mountains they're hanging out on a tree um you know and they're eating conifer needles so that's why i say to do it earlier in the year rather than later because if they're not you know, they're not leaving the tree. You and your dog both are, you know, going to have a really hard time finding <laughs> those birds. That sounds like it. Are you, are you mostly finding them along? I mean, if you find a trail, a logging road, uh, you know, dirt road, are you, are you finding them along there? Or are you just getting into the thick stuff and just trekking through? Uh, you know, like I said, on, you know, in years where, you know, water is available, you know, I'm, I'm focusing on that. Um, you know, and that's generally going to be, you know, down in the bottom of canyons or you know, something like that. Um, you know, I've found them off of logging roads and stuff like that in the past, um, but not in very high concentrations. Um, I found them there a lot in the spring, uh, drumming, um, but not nearly as often as I would in the fall. Um, so, yeah, you know water and food and yeah. you know, if there isn't water there, you know, I had the luxury last year of, you know, living in bluegrass country. Um, so, you know, I'd walk every afternoon with a dog or two but where I found him. I dropped a pin and I showed back up September 1st. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Do you, I think you mentioned to me, you don't get maybe great dog work off them. Is that right? No. Um, you know, they're kind of, uh, they're kind of tough for dogs to get pinned, you know, where they like to spend their time down in the bottom of those canyons and this and that to where the wind can get really swirly um, and stuff like that. You know, it kind of makes it tough for a dog. Um, and, you, you know, you hear, you know, bow hunters, hikers, you know, people like this um, say, you know, they're the dumbest bird in the world. And that is, that's so untrue. Um, but, when, you know, when you think about it, you know, these birds have evolved out in the mountains in the absence of, you know, in the absence of humans. Um, we're not on their 
you know, to look out for list. Um, and, you know, because of that, you know, yeah, they're not overly concerned about a human, but when you put a dog on the ground that closely resembles a coyote or a wolf, <laughs> the, the game changes. Um, so, and I think that most people who have hunted blue grouse with dogs will tell you that they're not the stupid bird that, you know, some people may, may talk about. Yeah. Yeah. It's a pretty common theme. You hear people just say, yeah, you know, they're dumb. They'll sit right there for you. Um, are, are they necessarily, do they run maybe like a pheasant or, or is their escape just to fly up into a tree? No, they won't run. They'll hold tight. They'll hold really tight. Um, and yeah, they'll hold tight and generally fly down slope. Um, but you know, I've seen them a lot of times just pitch up, you know, into the closest tree and they'll hang tight there. That's cool. That's cool. Definitely, definitely on my list to actually chase, um, elk hunting last year in Colorado, uh, I think it was third rifle season and I, I scared the crap out of me. I was walking along the road. I, I just took a quick stop. I, I stood there for a second and these two blue grouse just out of the tree had them in maybe 10 feet from me and just erupt. And <laughs> oh, yeah. I won't forget that, but they're large birds. They're, you know, thunderous when, you know, when they do take the wing, um and they are downright delicious birds as well are they yeah they are you know in my experience you know blue grouse and rough grouse are going to be top of the list list for me yeah interesting okay very interesting have you chased uh have you chased sage grouse yet i mean when you were up in near wyoming yeah well i did last year i didn't do it in wyoming i did it um in north park colorado uh close to walden and uh had a a fantastic hunt um you know they offer a very short two-day season there for sage grouse um and i uh, went out there and took advantage of that and ended up killing a few nice bombers right on right on that's awesome is it is it kind of i haven't chased sage grouse yet is it kind of what they say it is just this open sea of sage and absolutely yeah goes and all that it is yeah which you know for me you know being you know, last year being very new to sage grouse, um, I had no idea what I was looking for. I was just walking. I, uh, you know, ended up walking 12, 13 miles before I stumbled into them. But when I did, you know, I, uh, you know, the dogs had the opportunity to get some nice work done and, you know, I had the opportunity to get a little shooting done. (laughs) That's great, man. That's gotta be a, be a really good feeling. Absolutely. Yeah. After that many miles, that, that pays off at the end for sure. For sure. Yeah. Hey, on your, it's kind of, kind of interesting to me. Uh, I think it's on your, on your email signature, you have uh, AEA land and farm management. Why don't you talk a little bit about what, what, it, what is all that? It's, it's a uh, land management company that I started, uh, let's say a year ago, whenever I uh, graduated from college, got a, uh, ecology degree and, uh, figured, Hey, I might, might need to use this thing. Um, and had worked for the government in the past and I uh, wasn't eager to do that again, um, with a state or federal agency. Um, so I kind of went out on my own and, and did that. That's awesome. So do you basically do, do just like private consulting with like farmers, landowners, things like that? And what, what kind of things are you actually doing with them? Yeah, but uh, yeah, both, um, you know, farmers, ranchers, you know, private landowners on, you know, small and, you know, larger skills. Um, 
you know, what I do, you know, varies greatly from, you know, here in Georgia to, say, Colorado, Wyoming, or somewhere like that, um, you know, Idaho. Um, but, you know, a common theme that I'm seeing is people want me to manage their invasive species, whether that be, you know, vegetative species or feral hog. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of people in the grass or in the West are, uh, you know, fed up with the cheatgrass. They want to do something mm-hmm. about that, kind of seeing that to be a common theme. And, you know, since I've moved back to the Southeast, people hate their kudzu as much as folks in the West hate their cheatgrass. <laughs> um, you know, so I'm kind of, you know, starting to see that, you know, people are, are wanting help managing that as well. But, you know, I do some, um, you know, habitat management or habitat improvement projects as well. Um, and it's really, Hey, what, what do you want to do with your land here? What's your goal? And we come up with it, come up with a plan to help you achieve that goal. That's fascinating. And and do you kind of have a, I guess I'm guessing with your education background, so if someone calls you from, state of Washington. And then someone calls you from Georgia. Do you have a, a big enough uh, knowledge base where you c- can kind of know different species of invasive species that you're dealing with, or do you cover certain regions? No, I generally, I generally have to do a little bit of research. And even if, you know, even if I'm fairly certain that I know the the right course of action to take, I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna do a little bit of research, um, you know, just to confirm that, you know, I am right before I t- take someone's money and, you know, come out on their properties, you know, spraying this herbicide or, you know, doing this or that. Right on. Do you, uh, do you get many people, you know, say a rancher, a landowner call you up and say, Hey, I want to manage for upland birds specifically. Uh, do you get a lot of those calls or, or is it really just those calls? No. Hey, I got cheatgrass. How do I deal with it? A lot of the stuff that I'm doing is, you know, on a, you know, fairly small scale, you know, I'm starting, I'm seeing that, you know, a lot of these you know, ranchers have thousands of acres and, you know, they're fourth, fifth, sixth generation ranchers, you know, they know how they've done stuff for, you know, the last 50, 60 years of their life and they're not going to change now, you know? Um, and I think the same could be said for, you know, these people, you know, down in South Georgia or South Alabama, you know, who, you know, had this plantation and, you know, that plantation's been in you know the hands of their family for four five, six generations. You know, they know, they know, you know, they know what they're doing, you know, those aren't the people that, you know, would really benefit from, you know, what I have to offer. You know, they, you know, they have more experience, you know, managing their landscape than I do. Um, so I'm not going to come in and tell them they need to do this or that or change this or that. Yeah. Right on, man. How was, uh, how was Montana for you last year? Did you get up there? No, I didn't make it to Montana last year. Last year I did Colorado, Wyoming, Kansas, Nebraska, and that may have been it for last year. Okay. Yeah, okay. that was it for last year. Right on. How was uh, how was Kansas for you? Because Kansas kicked my butt last year. <laughs> it, it did mine as well. It did mine as well. I saw a few birds. Um, you know, not as many as I've seen in Kansas in the past. Um, but Kansas, Kansas. <laughs> Uh, they'll always have know, birds they will always they will always have birds and it'll always be a place on you know my uh two hit for the year list absolutely how do you um 
Uh, talk to me about your, your dog's training a little bit. Uh, you know, what are you working on this summer with your dogs, you know, getting them ready? I know hunting will look a little different for you this, this year with a baby coming up, but what are you kind of working on with, uh, with your dogs? With the puppies or the older dogs? Uh, let's go both. Let's go both. How about puppies first? Okay. With the puppies, I've got two behind me that you've probably heard. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. Since we started this and thankfully they have uh, calmed down a little bit. Um, with the, the little puppies that I have right now, it's, you know, I focus a lot on socialization early, um, you know, taking them here, there and everywhere, exposing them to this, that, and everything. Um, you know, everything I try to expose them, you know, in the first 16 to 20 weeks of their life to everything that I would expect my, my bird dog to encounter throughout their life. Um, you know, so with these little puppies, you know, at, you know, between eight to, you know, 10 weeks old, depending on, you know, how bold that dog is, you know, moving around the yard, um, I'm going to expose them to pen rice quail. Um, you know, from there, move into pigeons with launchers. Um, from there, try to get the gun under them. And, uh, you know, I'm not asking or expecting, you know, anything from them, you know, when it comes to bird work um you know at that age and not for quite a while after that you know i I really like to give my dogs you know their first year to knock chase and you know do whatever they want to i want them to you know i want them to love hopping in the truck riding down the road getting cut loose and you know hunting field and finding birds um you know with the uh you know with the older dog older dogs um i'm starting to break my pointer right now um well i started to break her two or three months ago um and i put 50 some odd posts under pulled her off from there um you know blowing her around the yard from the, from there we moved into stop the flush um just about done with stop the flush and uh from there we'll go into back and um and then, you know, she'll get the opportunity to start, start pointing birds again. Right on. That's awesome, man. Yep. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm going through, uh, probably about three quarters of the way through, uh, the breaking process with gauge right now, my oldest one. And, uh, um, it's been going good this past weekend. He, he's kind of showed me he, he's, we just need to do a little bit more groundwork, a little bit more on the, on the command lead. Um, when I toss a couple birds, he's had a couple episodes now where he'll get a little happy feet and just yeah. gets, gets all excited. And so a little bit more groundwork. Um, I think you can't do too much of it. Yeah. You, yeah. you know, you can't do too much yard work. You know, something can't be, your dog can't have too good of an understanding of woe before, you know, take you take them out there and expect them to you know, stand there and yeah. stick the bird, you know? Exactly. Exactly. So a couple, yeah, a little bit more yard work and, uh, toss a couple more birds on the wool posts and then we'll, we'll hopefully graduate onto the, onto the next phase. But, um, a, a quick question on, uh, uh, stop the flush was, so with stop the flush. Walk, walk me through that a little bit. So you're, you're kind of walking the dog along, toss a bird and are you applying pressure for them to stop? Or are you in the, in the initial phase when you start that? I am. Yeah. As soon as they recognize, you know, as soon as they acknowledge that bird, um, yeah, they're getting stimulation and, and you know, from there, you know, I will ask them to stop and I expect them to stand there, you know, and I'll walk out in front of them, kick around, maybe throw another bird and, you know, still expect them to stand there with all four feet in the same place that they were, 
Okay. So, so that timing's got to be really quick. It sounds like, cause if you're, you're walking with them, toss a bird, then you got to make sure, okay, dog acknowledges the bird, a little bit of pressure, get them to stop. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, timing is, is everything, um, you know, when it comes to these dogs, um, and you know what I'll do, you know, a lot of time, you know, put, put check cord on dog and, you know, I'll put a few launchers out in the field. Uh, let's see, that would be downwind of the dog. Sorry. I've got crossed up right now. Um, <laughs> where the dog cannot smell the bird never gets the opportunity to smell the bird and I'll pop that bird. And, you know, I'm willing that dog as soon as I see that dog acknowledge that, that bird. Gotcha. You know, I may have another launcher, maybe two out there. I'll have birds in the bag. And, you know, when I, you know, I stop that dog, I'm, you know, I may walk up there, kick around a little bit, throw another bird, you know, release the dog and we'll move on to, you know, you know, the same or a similar scenario from there. Okay. Right on. Yeah. Getting, getting close with Gage, getting close. <laughs> it's been, it's been fun though. It's been some, fun, something fun to work on, uh, in the summer last year, uh, I f- uh, force fetched him, um, just wanted to, you know, he, he didn't really have any interest in retrieving. Um, and I, I again, I, early on, I think I've talked about this before in the podcast. I put a huge emphasis on, uh, dogs retrieving when I was first starting out. And the more I'm into this now, it, it, it's become a little bit less, more important for me. Um, if they retrieve the nice thing now is, is I can throw a you know, bumper in the water, let them swim for a little bit, get them in there in hot, hot weather. So it's kind of a, a perk there. Um, yeah. but out in the field, I mean, I, I don't know for me, it's, I've just lost the importance of, of retrieving the hand. Um, I know some, yeah. some AKC tests maybe require it and all that, but, um, yeah. it's just, I don't know. Yeah. And, and it's one of those things for me, you know, I try to match my dog to the cover. I'm not going to go hunt pheasants and cattails with say my pointer or, you know, a setter. Um, it's not the right tool for the job. And if I were to kill a bird, you know, over one of these dogs that doesn't want to get in there and hunt dad and, you know, pick up that bird and bring it back to me, I'm not getting that bird back. You know, I just killed the bird and birds going to sit and rot out there, you know, and I'm not cool with that. Um, you know, but say, you know, I go hunt wheat stubble, I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to find that bird, you know, whether that dog, picks it up, you know, you know, whether he runs to it or not, whether he picks it up or not, you know, I'm going to find that bird, that bird's going to go in the bag and that bird's going to come home with me. Um, yeah. so, you know, I do try to, you know, match the dog to the cover. You know, I think there's a right tool for, for every job. And that's, you know, saying that I am starting to get cocker or springer curious. <laughs> there you go. You know, I do want to have the right tool on the job when I, you know, load up the truck and drop 14, 16, 18, 20 hours away from the house, you know, and I get there and I'm like, oh man, that's a, you know, beautiful little cattail slew there, you know, but I don't have the right tool for it. So I guess we'll move on, you know, move on to the next, you know, build a CRP or, you know, to the next wheat stubble or whatever it may be, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Anthony, where did you, I mean, so you talked a little bit about how you kind of got into hunting and all that. When it comes to, mm-hmm. you know, just working dogs, you know, gaining knowledge and stuff, did you have a mentor in your life that kind of helped you kind of get started in this or it, all like the training stuff you're doing with your dogs, all that, did you just kind of figured you kind out of on, your, on your own a little bit. Oh, I was just asking about, so the training aspect with your dogs, um, just upland hunting in general, did you have a mentor or how'd you kind of pick this stuff up on your own? Like, okay, how'd, how'd you learn how to break a dog? How'd you learn how to do all these things? So I've had a few, um, 
I've had a few and I've learned, you know, through trial and error as well. Um, you know, and I've been really fortunate, you know, to have some, you know, very, uh, very kind guys that, you know, will allow me to, you know, come out to their place with my dogs and, you know, teach me, teach me this or teach me that, or, you know, answer the phone whenever I call with, you know, this question or that question or whatever it may be. Um, but, you know, I think that sometimes you just got to get out there and, and figure it out. And, you know, you know, I don't think that a guy should figure out how to force fetch a dog, you know, without the help of someone or, you know, how to break a dog, you know, you know, if they don't have, you know, the experience or the right support system in place. Um, but, you know, there are certainly things that, you know, a guy can learn through, you know, trial and error. Yeah, absolutely. Have, do you, uh, do you dabble in, in any field trials with your dogs or, or putting them through any kind of testing process? No, I haven't in the past. Um, I am curious. Um, and I think that it's something that I'm going to start to dip my toes into this year, um, with an organization here in the South called Southern Bird Hunters Association. Um, and I actually spent the weekend with those guys and, uh, got to meet Bud Moore. And oh, nice. I mean, you, you talk about mind blowing. Um, I mean, go- you get around a guy like that, you know, for a guy like me and I'm like, I don't know a single thing about compared to a guy like that, you know? Um, but yeah, back on track. I am, um, you know, I'm going to give it a try. Um, you know, whether it's right for me or not, we'll have to, we'll have to find out. Um, but you know, at the end of the day for me, you know, I place, uh, you know, the most importance on a wild bird dog. That's awesome. Well, I'm kind of curious, uh, Bud Moore, All right. Sorry about that. No, no, you're all good. Um, all right. Jumping back in. Here we go. Uh, I'm kind of curious on, so Bud Moore, that's, that's a pretty cool, uh, person you got to hang out with this weekend. What's, what's this one thing you might've walked away with learning from him? If you got much time with him, Bud places a lot of importance, um, on barrel work very early in a dog's life. He's putting pups on a barrel as soon as they can stand up. And, uh, you know, I guess his, uh, wouldn't say his reliance on the barrel, but his, his use of the barrel that early in a dog's life was definitely, you know, something that I picked up and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I learned a ton from him over the weekend. And if I took in 5% of, you know, what he said or what he told me over the weekend, I'm going to be a better dogman for it. Um, but you know, most of the, I just stood there with my mind blown for, you know, <laughs> straight, you know, around him. Sure. That's gotta, that's gotta be a, uh, little bit of an, uh, an overload of um, information. I'm sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for two reasons, one, because 
you know, the guy's got 65 years worth of experience for dogs. You know, he's learned from Farrell Miller and, uh, you know, Delmer Smith, um, you know, and what better, you know, what better guys could you learn from about bird dogs? Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a pretty great experience. Absolutely. Are, were you, or are, I guess, are you already doing barrel work or are you, cause that's more of a Hickox method. Is that right? And Smith is more woe post kind of method. I don't believe, and I'm not super familiar with the Hickox method. I believe he teaches woe on boards of boards. Okay. Uh, a platform. Similar to uh, like a place board, you know, a. Uh, a, uh, you know, an object placed on the ground with a, you know, fairly low profile. Um, I believe that's how, um, I believe that's how George is or was teaching, you know, well, um, you know, obviously the Smiths are, you know, known for their use of the post. Um, and I, you know, me personally, you know, I put my dogs up on a, uh, a sawhorse, um, you know, it's got a two by six plank on the top um you know i'll put them up there you know style them up and you know i'm not really i don't think that i'm teaching teaching woe there i'm certainly not proving it um but for me it's you know getting those dogs up there and getting them comfortable with me putting my hands on them mm. you know more than anything um you know after seeing bud you know work his magic on the barrel you know for the last two days, you know, over the weekend, you know, it's something that I'm considering. Um, but you know, for me, I don't, you know, I don't have the luxury of at least, yeah, of, you know, having these puppies at 10 days old when they can you know, just stand up and, you know, put them on a barrel then. Sure. I think you said something really important there, kind of how you're using even the sawhorses, getting your hands on the dogs. I was actually <laughs> listening to, uh, I think it was the newest project upland podcast today. I think Ryan Mulcahy of Born to Run Kennels, he was talking about one of the biggest things he he sees sometimes in client dogs that he gets in is dogs that just don't want to be touched or, you know, if you try to grab them by the collar, bring them somewhere, um, that can be just a big issue, a uh, big setback. And I think that's really important. Yeah, I mean, in the last year or so, you know, I've seen a, a ton of dogs and I don't want to call the pointer guys out, but I think that, you know, a lot of the, you know, kind of old school pointer guys are, you know, kind of guilty of, not doing very much with their dogs for say the first year of their life. Um, and these guys, you know, finally pull them out of the kennel, you know, when they're a year old and you know, these dogs are not well socialized and they're not used to having people put their hands on them or, you know, this or that. And, you know, I see these dogs and I can't imagine, you know, trying to clean that dog's ears or trying to trim that dog's nails. And, uh, you know, for me, you know, I want these pups to, to accept my touch at a, at a really early age. Yeah. And it, uh, to, to learn to crave it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a, it's a good thing that, that they want that. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what I noticed about, about Wynn right now is she's way more than Gage ever was. She wants that, that touch. She wants to be near you touch pet and she'll just, she's six months old and she'll stand there and just, you know, stroke her back and um, I'm not wooing her or anything. She just, she wants that touch touch. She likes it. Um, Gage at that age, he's a little more, you know, all, all over the place once that, once I run around, but um, just, yeah. just funny to see the difference in those dogs. Definitely. And I've, and I've got a pup that's, you know, sounds pretty, uh, similar to you know that female that you're talking about um in that 
you know, if I sit down in the yard here, you know, she's gonna, she's gonna run up to me. She's gonna lay down right beside me. She's gonna, you know, crawl over me. You know, she wants, she wants that touch. Um, but a litter mate of hers done everything, you know, done everything same exact way, you know, with her that I have her litter mate, but I, you know, I cut her loose. She runs through the field and she starts hunting by herself. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's, you know, is what it is, but, you know, I don't want a dog that's, you know, overly independent or, you know, starting to do stuff on and for themselves, you sure. know, at a, at a really early age. Sure. Yeah. You, you want a little bit of dependency on you. It's a, it's a team effort again, right? Definitely. Yeah. But you know, that pup that I'm talking about that, you know, that I'm pretty fond of, you know, if I sit down in the yard, she's going to hang out there right beside me. But when, yeah. you know, we walk down to the bird field, she's just as much of, you know, running around covering as, you know, as much ground and, you know, looks just as good as the other dog that, you know, runs off and does her own thing and gives me the middle finger. <laughs> What, uh, what kind of range are you getting out of your, uh, your pointers and your setters specifically your, your adult ones? Uh, you know, I don't, I don't like to say that I want a 300 yard dog or I want a 500 yard dog or I want a thousand yard dog. I want a dog that intelligently hunts cover, hunts the cover. Um, you know, I want a dog that you know, when the cover says to, you know, cut loose and to stretch out, we'll do that. And when it doesn't, that fills it back a little bit. That's good. So, that, yeah. that's, that's a sign. It sounds like the sign of a smart dog then where it can kind of adapt quickly. It, it, yeah, definitely. And if there's one, you know, one trait that I'm placing the most importance on, it is, you know, that intelligence, um, but, you know, I do like a dog that will get out there and, you know, cover some ground, um, you know, get out there and I had to put a, put a number on it, you know, get out there a couple hundred yards. Um, but I don't want a dog that's, you know, half a mile hunting for themselves. Sure. And I want a dog that's gonna, it's gonna check back in with me and, you know, not forget that, you know, they're out there with me and to hunt for me. Yeah. Are there, sorry. Last big question kind of maybe before we wrap things up here, just on that intelligence piece, cause I think that that can get thrown around quite a bit. Um, what exactly, so we, we talked about, um, you know, maybe adapting to cover well, and, and that might be a key of a, of a smart dog. What's mm -hmm. some other, like, uh, I guess maybe tangible things that the everyday person could kind of cue in on that you think would, would, uh, lead to, Hey, that that's a very intelligent dog you know, versus, versus the next one down the street. What are, I guess, just some, some cues or some signs that you think they're, that would, they would show. A dog that, that hunts likely objectives, a dog that says, Hey, I've, you know, I've found birds there in the past, or I've found birds in similar cover in the past. Might want to check, you know, hmm. might want to check that out a little bit and not just, you know, blow straight past it. Hmm. Um, you know, a dog that doesn't, that doesn't outrun their nose. Hmm. Um, for me, you know, so I've got these, you know, and I start looking for it early. Um, and you know, I've got these little puppies out here behind me now. And, uh, one of those dogs, when I got to open a bag of dog food, she runs through her kennel. She knows that that's where she eats hmm. to where the other dogs, you know, the other puppies, they'll be climbing all over the, you know, you know, the bag of food and, you know, active crazy, 
you know, climbing up the walls and, you know, doing all this to where the other dog, she goes through her kennel and she waits patiently to be fed. Um, you know, that kind of tells me that she's thinking a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. And that same dog, when I take her to the bird field, every single time that we go down there, so let's see, she is 16 weeks old now. She probably saw her first bird at, let's say, nine weeks old, roughly. Um, she hits that same place to where she found that first bird seven hmm. weeks ago. Wow. She hits, she hits that spot every time she hits, you know, most of the, you know, most of the spots where she's found birds in the past when she gets down there. Um, you know, so that's, you know, those are, you know, a few things that tell me that, you know, a young dog is, is thinking. Yeah. That, that's fascinating. And, and that food thing, especially that she's thinking yeah. far enough ahead, kind of differently than the other pups. Yeah. Hey, this is where he puts the food every day. That's where I'm going to wait. This is where I eat. I don't eat, I don't eat, you know, excuse me, halfway up the wall or, you know, on top of the table or, you know, on top of the food bag, I eat, you know, I eat in my crate and she runs there and, you know, she waits patiently to be fed. And I like that. That's, that's fascinating, man. Thanks for sharing that. That's that that kind of blew my mind even. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. All right, man. As we wrap things up, um, what is, what's one piece of advice uh, you'd give to uh, someone going into their first season? Uh, maybe they, they just picked up their own bird dog, their first bird dog. What's something you would, you'd give, uh, give to them heading into their, their first season. Do what you can with what you have and tell yourself every day that today is one day and you know, the grand scheme of, a 10, 12, 14 year process, like a dog, you know, you're not going to break a dog in a day. You're not going to do this in a day. You're not going to do anything in a day. Um, so, you know, take every day and, you know, try to do something beneficial for that dog. Um, but, you know, know that you're not going to make huge leaps and strides and, you know, the matter of one day or in the matter of, you know, two, three, or even a week for that matter, you know, it's, so, it's a journey. It's a process. It takes time. It takes work. It's not, not going to happen overnight. Absolutely. And, and enjoy the journey. Enjoy the process. It's, it should be fun. It is fun. Um, you know, just enjoy your time with your dog and, you know, September 1st gets here, enjoy your time in the field. Your dog's not going to do everything right every time. Um, even the best dogs aren't, um, you know, just appreciate your dog for what it is. That's good, man. That's really good. Thank you. All right. Last thing we'll wrap up here. Uh, we do a rapid fire, uh, a section here. So I'm just going to list off a few questions. Give me your, uh, your short answer. You can expand, you can expand if you need to, but, uh, we'll we'll go from there. Uh, solo hunt with you and your dogs or a a group hunt with friends. Solo with me and the dog. So I find that, you know, when I go out with, you know, a guy, even a few guys, um, you know, and, and I, you know, I really found this to be true, you know, when I was out West and all my buddies from Georgia were you know, flying into Denver and, uh, you know, taking a week off from work and, you know, doing all of this stuff to come hunt birds and they're not coming to, those guys aren't coming for dog work. They're not coming to watch you train your dog. They're coming to kill birds. Um, and training dogs and killing birds don't go hand in hand. Uh, so for me, it's solo, you know, I get the, you know, if the dog does a good job and, you know, I get the opportunity to come in there and put the bird up and, uh, kill it and the dog does what I, you know, what I wanted it to, you know, I'm going to be very happy to shoot that bird. 
Um, but you know, at this point, especially having all these young dogs, I don't expect to go out and kill birds. Um, you know, every time, or at least depending on who's on the ground. Um, so for me, it's, it's going to be solo. Right on. I'm going to take a quick detour and just ask you a follow-up on that. So are you, you know, you're out, you and your dogs, are you going to be pretty diligent about passing on a shot? It, depending on how your dog put that bird up or pointed that bird. Oh yeah, for sure. If I got a young dog come in there and, you know, knock birds, I'm not gonna, I'm definitely not shooting that bird and rewarding that dog for doing a, you know, a crap job with, you know, a million dollar payday. Right on, man. That's, yeah. that's discipline. That's discipline. Yeah. And, and, and you have to be, if you're going to train a dog to a high level, I think. Yeah. You can't, you can't give them an inch and, you know, you no. know they, they get that reward. And like you said, it's they're like, Hey, payday. Yeah. You <laughs> let, give me, an let me try that next time. They'll take them out. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right. Next question. If not a setter, Brittany or a pointer, what's your fourth favorite dog breed? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, uh, well, I told you earlier that I'm getting, I know I should, I should say excluding Cocker as well. <laughs> Cause I know you're, I know you're going to get one. I am getting Cocker and, uh, and or Springer curious. Um, so I believe that one or the other will probably be the next, the next breed of dog that, that I bring in. Very nice. Bring it, bring it in the flushing dog. I like it. Yeah. You know, like I said, I just like the, I like the thought of having the right tool for every job. Yeah, that's, that's right. That's awesome. Uh, what gun are you carrying out into the uplands and why? So it depends, you know, sometimes I'll, sometimes I'll take my granddad's, you know, 120 or 130 year olds, you know, single shot 16 gauge out, you know, just to be a little, uh, a little sentimental, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like my, you know, CZ wing shooter really in a uh, 20 gauge. Um, and I've got a few other guns that I'll carry out from time to time. So just you, you like a healthy rotation. I do. Yeah. Just like with the dogs. <laughs> yes. There, there's a theme here. I can tell. Yeah. yeah definitely. <laughs> what, uh, uh, what upland vest are you rocking? Uh, I would just wear the old, the old trodden true Filson. Oh, there you go. There you go. Yeah, I, I'm not a huge gearhead. Um, I think that a lot of guys place too much importance on their gear and not enough importance on, on their dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. I know you're, you're kind of talking to one of those guys sometimes. I, yeah. I, can, I can be that way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll admit it. Guys are. And it's easy to do. Um, but for me, you know, I'm spending money. It's either going to be, you know, in gas for the truck to get the wild birds <laughs> or, you know, on the dog. Dang, man. You got your priorities, right? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Okay. Uh, just two more, uh, pick one upland bird. What's your favorite species to hunt? Well, you, you probably gathered that I'm fond of the, uh, the blue grouse for their, you know, unique nature. Um, and in the, you know, for the beautiful places that they live. Um, but it's probably going to be sharp tails for me. Nice. Yeah. I would agree. Or, yeah. So. I, I like those. I think that, you know, early season sharp tails are, and sage grouse as well are both, you know, pretty conducive to, to good dog work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I would say I, I like it because 
it, the, the terrain, I like, I can generally see the dog. Well, yeah. it's open, it's rangy. They hold well. Yeah. Uh, and that's why I like them the most. Yeah. And you know, I you know, I say that I like to hunt blue grouse, but you know, in reality, my Brittany is really the only proper tool for that job. Sure. Um, you know, I hate, you know, having my dog two or 300 yards away in the woods, whether that be, you know, blue grouse woods or the rough grouse woods. Um, but I, I certainly appreciate the bird for, for what it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. Uh, beverage of choice after a hunt or a long day of training. Cold IPA. Cold IPA. Okay. Yes, sir. All yep. right. Any, any good, uh, Georgia beers you found down there? Yeah, there are a few. So we've got, uh, uh, got Sweetwater. I really enjoy Sweetwater 420. Okay. Um, and there are, there are a few others as well, but when we were in Fort Collins, we were kind of in the, the, uh, brewery, microbrewery Mecca. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's pretty awesome here with, you know, Odell and new Belgium and, you know, all the other, you know, microbreweries and, yeah. you know, in the area. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, if, if you, if you uh, need me to ship you any, let me know. <laughs> All right, brother. Dude, I'll take, uh, I'll take a rob shirt and uh citradelic, please. <laughs> yeah. And there thank- you go. All right. Yeah. I think UPS will ship that, right? <laughs> all right anthony well uh thanks so much for your time man this has uh really been a blast getting to know you a little bit more and uh just chatting dogs and and this could go i'm sure a lot longer but you know we both got families and kiddos and and all that good stuff so um, it's been been a pleasure absolutely thank you very much for having me i enjoyed it yeah absolutely man same here and uh good luck with the new baby coming in september and uh hopefully you also get a little hunting in Thank you. I'm looking forward to uh, looking forward to following along with you and, and all the dogs that you've got now. Yeah, thanks, man. I might I might be reaching out for some uh, some training tips here and there. <laughs> Anytime. Probably not the best guy to call, but I'll answer. <laughs> all right. Oh, cool. Well, that's awesome, man. Thanks so much, and take care. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, that is a wrap of episode 19 with Anthony. Dude, thank you so much. Uh, that was a blast recording. Um, Anthony have, uh, and I have continued just to uh, stay in touch, connect, uh, just about hunting and that. Uh, even since we recorded, uh, really have built a cool uh, friendship there. So, Anthony, thanks again, man. Uh, that was a blast. Hey, guys, don't forget, leave an Apple rating and review on Apple uh, Podcasts. really helps this show get out there to more hunters just like you uh last thing i was gonna say is uh make sure you're doing something this week get your dog ready get yourself ready for season Uh, i know we're just about 10 days away from september so if you're out chasing grouse or have plans to um just start start that gear list start that packing list uh get the dogs out still it's not too late to get them running around um don't push them too hard don't push them too hard though we don't want any injuries uh coming up before season so just be smart about it but get them out there keep them keep moving keep them conditioned uh keep them fed uh well so anyways that's all i got for you episode 19 guys take care uh if you're not hunting with a Brittany, it's okay any bird dog is better than no bird dog i promise promise. Just get out there. Put some miles on those boots. Take care.